We solemnly swear we're up to no good. Hi, I'm Gary Roby. I'm Victoria Laguna. And we're the hosts of Harry Potter Minute, the fan podcast where we overanalyze the Harry Potter movies one magical minute at a time. Join us as we argue about whether or not McGonagall would meow at Dumbledore. She wouldn't. As we ponder just how much Harry's fortune is worth. Just $40. As we guess how much mileage one gets out of an Ollivander wand. 100,000 jinxes. As we detail the ins and outs of Hogwarts Castle. It's only a model. Join us Monday through Friday, only from DuelingGenre.com. Mischief Managed. Dueling Genre. everyone and welcome to the protagonist podcast where each week we look at a great character in a great story i'm todd mack and i'm joe dorowski and this week we are discussing don lockwood and kathy selden in singing in the rain and to help us with our discussion we're joined by returning guest nick english welcome nick i am returning how many have i done of these now i'm not sure at least like 20 or three others three i think i feel like this is at least the third maybe fourth yeah hmm. sounds good to me all right. <laughs> I'm I'm happy to be here and I'm always excited to be a part of the protagonist podcast. Well, we are glad to have you and uh it made sense for us to have you on for Singing in the Rain cuz you uh told us and I, I eventually was able to see you have a Singing in the Rain poster in your art studio, correct? That is true. Um it was actually kind of gifted to me because my dad, he's a big movie buff and um when my family kind of went their separate ways, I just kind of inherited it at the end because he didn't want to take it to his next house. And I was like, well, I'll take that. And it immediately went up into my studio. And I use it as inspiration every time that I draw. Although it is facing behind me. So maybe I should <laughs> fix that. You got to spin around, get inspired, and then quickly turn back to your, <laughs> to your art. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's kind of like Norman Rockwell. He used to like walk up and down. like He had this big carpet in his studio where he would step back and he'd walk really far away from his painting so that he could look how it looked from far away. Then he'd walk up and paint. And there was a like worn out part in the carpet, just in that space where he would walk back and <laughs> forth from his paintings. That's so cool. in my studio, it would just be the circle because I'm constantly rotating to be inspired by singing in the rain. So there'd <laughs> yeah. just be like one spot in the carpet in mine. So maybe I can <laughs> do the same thing. Yeah. Well, uh, listeners, if any of you are unfamiliar, Singing in the Rain is a 1952 musical film starring Gene Kelly as Don Lockwood and Debbie, Debbie Reynolds as Kathy Selden. It was written by uh, Betty Comden and Adolph Green and directed by Gene Kelly and Stanley Donin. It tells the story of a Hollywood studio and several actors and actresses attempting to transition from the silent era into the sound era with romance, hijinks, and musical numbers added to the mix. So uh, I guess before we jump into the trivia, Todd, do you remember how you first came to Singing in the Rain? Boy, I don't know. I don't remember the f first time I saw this. Uh, it's one that we um, that we quote fairly often in uh, in our family. Um, I've seen it. I don't know several times. I would say is uh, dignity uh, always dignity. One of the quotes. <laughs> <laughs> Probably the most common one is, "What do you think I am, dumb or something?" <laughs> <laughs> I can't stand him. Can't stand him. <laughs> Zelda, Zelda, Zelda. That guy's Zelda. Awesome. Oh, Zelda. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, 
Anyway, it's it's a. Right. I get a it's little emotional. And then uh, I taught this at BYU one time um, in a class. I don't remember what the class was, but we were talking about film, like post-war film, and we watched The Big Sleep and this as a double feature in one night with my students. It what was awesome. so awesome. <laughs> it was really cool. It was really fun. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of got a special place in my heart. I've got some uh, new thoughts about it, though, tonight, so I'm excited to discuss this. All right. What about you, Nick? Do you remember when you first came to Singing in the Rain? So... I um, I think it's been well documented, at least on my podcast, and I think I even mentioned it last time that I was here, but I grew up in a house of estrogen, and I was the only boy, and I had four sisters, and so I don't remember a time that I was not watching this film, um, and it had such a profound effect on my life that I learned how to clog because I wanted to be... Don Lockwood. I took dance and tap lessons when I was very young. Um, I took singing lessons. I wanted to be an actor. And I distinctly remember a time when I was probably like eight or nine years old, maybe a little older, and we were playing categories. And the letter was D, and you had to put an actor. And so I put Don Lockwood as the actor for my answer. And all of my family still will never to this day let me live that down, that I actually put... A movie star <laughs> that wasn't really a movie star from one of my favorite films. So <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Like, legitimately, my family will go up to our cabin at least once or twice a year. And this show is one we always watch, no matter what. <laughs> like, this film and Hook, which you guys have talked about as well. Like, those are the two we always watch. So there is a profound and very real influence that this has had in my life so <laughs> well, i still got pictures of me in my fluorescent green shirt and my white tap shoes from when <laughs> i wanted to be don lockwood moses supposes i uh i was watching it today or uh, yesterday in preparation for this podcast and I, my boys who are three and five wanted to watch it with me and i told them they could ask any question and i was all set for my film history lecture about the transition from silent air to sound and the only question they had was (laughs) was how do they dance like that (laughs) were they talking about cosmo or were they talking about okay okay since they've watched it they have asked to watch youtube videos of uh make them laugh and moses poses multiple times and they stand in front of the the monitor and try and imitate the you know the the dances that they're seeing for both of those (laughs) so so the the make them laugh um, choreography. When I was very young, you know, nowadays kids will watch, you know, I don't know, videos of their favorite people and learn the dance moves from the music videos. But when I was a kid, I learned the entire choreography to make them laugh and pretty much any other dance number in this. Like I was sitting in front of the TV, you know, like you see the little kids like mimicking and I was doing you know, the, these, these choreographed numbers. And so when I got in high school, this craze happened called break dancing. <laughs> <laughs> and I already knew how to do half of it because I just danced like Cosmo Brown and people would like <laughs> think that I was completely awesome. Cause I was running up a wall and flipping and I was like 
doing a coffee grinder and I would like run on the floor in circles and people <laughs> thought that I was amazing. So it served me very well in my life to learn these choreographed dances. And then after that, I was also able to learn how to do the windmill and spin on my head and stuff. And ironically, I brought those moves back out because I went to a wedding of one of my scouts who is much younger than me now. And they broke a circle out. And then, you know, the 37-year-old scout master <laughs> that used to be a scout master starts spinning on his head and doing breakdance moves. It was very successful. I was very pleased with myself. <laughs> I still do it. But I was very sore afterwards. And even my wife, Lena, who ironically, there's a Lena in this movie, there's no correlation between me marrying Alina and Lena from this movie. At least I don't think so. Maybe I need to talk to a shrink. But um, yeah, she was like, you shouldn't have done that. And I'm like, yeah, probably not. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's kind of like Todd and and Munich. Like this was a film that we had when I was growing up. I remember seeing it when I was a kid. I don't remember when I first saw it, but I do remember uh, studying film in college. It was a film that was shown both because of its like significance as a film, but also because it teaches or, you know, covers some eras of film history pretty well. Um, and so I know I watched the entire film in more than one class, but also like the seg- segment when they're doing uh, their first sound recording with, with Lena and Don Lockwood so good. and they're having all the mic, the mic troubles. I, I, I remember specifically watching that in uh, a film history class that was about like this transition era we were talking uh, about. So, Oh, Pierre, you should, Yes, it's yeah. It's <laughs> beads. <laughs> couldn't get her to talk. So get her to let go of the beads, boss. <laughs> so good. All right, some trivia about singing in the rain. Uh, when the film came out, it didn't flop, nor was it a big hit. It just kind of came and was, and you know, did all right for the studio. Um, however. It has been reevaluated <laughs> since that time, and it is now generally considered one of the greatest musicals ever made, if not the greatest film musical ever made. It topped um, the American Film Institute's list of greatest film musicals, and um, in their most recent list of greatest films, it was number five on AFI's list of greatest greatest films ever made. Uh, it was added to the National Film Registry in 1998. It has a 100% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. No curmudgeons have yeah. cast dispersions on this film. Not like Casablanca, <laughs> which had oh. that one critic who hated it. Um, <laughs> however, uh, going back to the fact that it wasn't really like thought of as spectacular when it came out, the only Oscar nominations it received were for Best Score and Gene Hagen as Best Supporting Actress for playing Lena Lamont. Those were the only Oscar nominations it had. Mm. Uh, that year, The Greatest Show on Earth won Best Picture, and previous film we discussed, The The Quiet Man, was also nominated that year. Um, most of the music uh, in the musical numbers, they actually came from earlier MGM musicals. The only new songs for Singing in the Rain were Make Him Laugh and Moses Supposes. Hmm. Well, and Make Him Laugh kind of has a funny history because it is almost exactly like another song, but yet nobody really talks about that. Well, like there's a song called uh, I think it's something like I'm a clown or something. And it's like I'm a clown, I'm a clown, and it's very much the same. The tune is very similar. It's so similar that like now in the internet age, it would just be crucified. 
<laughs> but it's well, pretty interesting. <laughs> speaking of things that no one talks about and people would be crucified for, Arthur Freed was the producer of the film and he was a lyricist on most of the songs and he produced many of the iconic classic um, musicals, particularly from MGM. But from reports, he would not have made it out of the Me Too movement of the current era. <laughs> oh, jeez. Yeah, well, I, I think that was just kind of commonplace during this time. Yes, but uh, yeah, there's a lot of stories. Like once you start reading some of these stories, like, oh, no, Arthur, no, don't. <laughs> um, one of the most amazing things about this film is how effortless the dance numbers look, which we must note they were not. Um, and some examples. After a grueling day of filming the Good Morning number, which was a 13-hour shoot, Debbie Reynolds' feet were bleeding and she had to be helped to bed. Um, while filming the Singing in the Rain number, Gene Kelly had a fever of 103 degrees. And Donald O'Connor was hospitalized after the make, make him laugh number. Um, this was partially because he was a four pack a day smoker. <laughs> and, Which is a lot. There's <laughs> a lot of cigarettes. And that that uh, choreography is pretty strenuous. Yeah. yeah you know, I, I remember know specifically thinking, um, watching the good morning um, number. I remember thinking, I bet Debbie Reynolds feet are killing her. Well, yes, they were. They were bleeding uh, by the end. Yeah. And um well, she later said in her life uh, that childbirth and singing in the rain were the two hardest things she ever did. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, her daughter is Carrie Fisher. So I'm glad she went through, you know, yeah, we, we, we got Princess that. Leia, <laughs> um, you know, through the other hardest thing that she did. We got singing in the rain through one of them. Um, however, Debbie Reynolds, it, she didn't have the easiest time on set, especially early on. She is not a trained dancer. She was a gymnast uh, before. And um, Gene Kelly reportedly he was the director for the choreography numbers had some pretty harsh critical comments about her dancing early on and she kind of had a meltdown but while she was having the meltdown someone came by and saw her that was fred astaire and he offered to help her with her dancing and um coached her up so jerk move gene kelly and classy move fred astaire (laughs) nice well it is worth noting as well that like that last scene on the couch in the good morning like i mean there was 13 hour shoots they did like 40 takes of that like just that part alone of them like sitting down and off of the couch and, and then falling and laughing. Yeah. So how Sorry. many times do you feel like you need to fall and laugh? Yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> it was a different time, a different time. <laughs> okay. Is that all the trivia? Do you have any other uh, trivia, Nick? No, that's the trivia I had for that one. Okay. So before we move on to the long synopsis, We would like to thank each of you for listening and especially thank those of you who support us on Patreon. If you would also like to support us financially, we invite you to go to patreon.com slash protagonist and support the show with at least a dollar per month. All supporters on Patreon at any level receive access to our special quick casts, which are shorter episodes in which we break down newly released films and trailers and give monthly updates on our fantasy box office, uh, which um, Joe's lead is now less than a billion dollars, barely less than a billion dollars. Solo is really uh, not doing me any favors. Um, <laughs> and all patrons who support us with $5 per month or more uh, get to choose a topic for us to discuss. I just want to say one right, thing. Here it is. Oh, go it ahead. is worth being a patron for those quick casts. So everybody go enjoy Patreon because the quick casts are pure gold. Just saying that. <laughs> oh, well, thank yeah, you, Nick. Kind of you. And everyone should go listen to the fandom podcast. Just reciprocal. Yeah, I don't even think we've mentioned you. it yet. So I was just wondering about that. I was like, <laughs> yeah, I am. Actually- I think you referred to your podcast, but I don't think we, we gave the name, which is the fandom podcast. Yeah, so I'm- <laughs> if you are a, a regular listener of the protagonist podcast, you have heard every member of the fandom podcast on here more than once at this point. Yes, that's true. That's true. Yeah. 
All right. Uh, now, full synopsis of uh, of Singing in the Rain. Spoiler warning for a film from 1952. If you want to go watch it before you listen any farther. Singing in the Rain opens with the Hollywood premiere of the silent film The Royal Rascal. This film stars Don Lockwood and Lena Lamont, and they are there with an open mic and an adoring crowd, so Don Lockwood tells the story of his rise to fame and his relationship with Lena Lamont. As he speaks of his life model, dignity, always dignity, he tells a very aspirational life story. But the film audience sees footage that counters all of his monologue with lowbrow, broad comedic beats showing Don Lockwood working uh, the lowest jobs with his friend Cosmo until he accidentally becomes a film stuntman and then accidentally becomes a film star and then kind of accidentally gets paired with Lena Lamont. Lena never speaks during this long bit of comedic exposition. We soon discover, away from the press and fans, that Lena is unbearable, terrifically stupid, and has a terribly screechy voice. And the rumors of a Don Lockwood, Lena Lamont romance have been created by the studio to help promote films. Don can't stand Lena, but Lena thinks the magazine articles about their pending engagement are true. (laughs) On their way to a party after the film premiere, Don and Cosmo get a flat tire and a group of fans mob Don Lockwood. He jumps into a nearby convertible car to escape and introduces himself to the panicked driver, Kathy Silver. He (laughs) He flirts with her, but she does not flirt back, telling Don Lockwood that she is a stage actress, you know, real acting, not like those film people. At the party, um, a new de- a demonstration of this new technology, uh, talking film, is shown. But most of the silent film people think that's just a gimmick. It's never going to take. Then, in celebration of the film they've just uh, premiered, there are a bunch of dancing girls doing a routine. And Don Lockwood spots Kathy Selden as one of these dancing girls. He teases her mercilessly, and she tries to throw a cake at him. But it hits Lena, who does not take this well. Weeks later, Don has tried to find Kathy, but he hasn't had any luck. He is in a funk, and Cosmo performs the amazing Make Him Laugh number to cheer him up. The studio is rethinking everything because the jazz singer, the first talkie film, well, sort of the first talkie film, was a smash hit, and now everything needs sound. So they're going to make the next Lockwood Lamont film into a talkie, even though Lena has a voice made for silent cinema. Don and Lena are on even worse footing than usual because Don found out that Lena got Kathy fired from her job, and that's one reason why he's had trouble tra- tracking her, jam- her down. We now get a long musical number called Beautiful Girl, which is showing the style of musicals Hollywood is cranking out since sound of music, uh, or, or since musicals are all the rage. And Cosmo recognizes Kathy Selden as one of the chorus girls, and he runs against Don. Don makes sure Kathy gets hired by the studio, uh, but that it is also kept secret from Lena. Don and Kathy uh, make up for their past argument, and now they're both flirting, which leads to another musical number. Uh, Don and Lena Lockwood have dictation lessons, which go much, much better for Don, even leading to the Moses Supposes Song and Dance number during his dictation lesson. Uh, While they are filming the first sound scene, however, there is this great comedic sequence as they try and get Lena to talk into the microphone, and Don drops all of his lines for the kind of repetitive stuff that he could say in silent films that no one knew what he was saying. So he's just saying, I love you, I love you, I love you. Somebody instead of the script paid that to write that dialogue? <laughs> and uh, the director has a nervous breakdown during this sequence. At the premiere for the new film, things do not go well. Lena's voice is awful. Don's line reading makes audiences laugh. It's plagued with sound problems. And even at one point, the audio and the film get out of sync enough that it looks like Don has Lena's voice and is saying her lines. <laughs> Lena has Don's voice and is saying his lines. <laughs> this is... Just a really oh, fantastically man. done. So film. good. No, no, um, no. That night. Yes, yes, yes. No, no, no. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. No, no, no. 
so good, so good. All right, that night, Don, Cosmo, and Kathy lament together about how poorly the movie premiere went. And over a musical number called Good Morning or Good Marnin, if you're Debbie Reynolds, they brainstorm up a new plan. They uh, they want to turn the movie into a musical. And inspired by the film sync issue that they saw earlier in the theater, they're going to have Kathy Selden dub her voice over Lena's performance. That night, Don walks home alone in the rain. Or more accurately, he dances in the rain and maybe sings a little. The studio head loves the idea, and they move into production on a musical version, and this is going to include a long performance of Broadway Melody. <laughs> so so we're going to explore a lot of different styles of Broadway musical. Um, just a note, uh, it was, there was the duo directing the film, uh, Gene Kelly and, um, uh, uh, let me just double check the other name, I want to get it right. Uh, Stanley Donan and reportedly they didn't always get along in directing and Stanley Donan thought Gene Kelly was too in love with dance and musical numbers and way too indulgent in those and I've got to kind of agree when it comes to Broadway musical or Broadway melody sorry uh, after that we're um, Lena is going to find out that Don is in love with Kathy and that Kathy is going to get on screen credit as Lena's voice and at this point Lena is so upset that she sabotages a few things she leaks the story to uh, to the press that the studio thinks she'll be a big talent in musicals and she threatens to sue if Kathy is credited as her voice she also insists that Kathy will always voice over her parts and that Kathy can never have credit or a career of her own at the movie premiere uh, the audience loves this new musical and Lena goes out uh, and wants to sing for the audience and to do that she's going to have Kathy sing behind a curtain into a microphone while Lena mouths uh, to the audience Cosmo, Don and the studio head see this happening and they raise the curtain to reveal that Kathy is the real voice behind Lena Lamont Kathy becomes a star and the movie ends with Don and Kathy standing in front of a billboard for the new film Singing in the Rain starring Don Lockwood and Kathy Selden the end Hmm. That was just pure brilliance. It's always easier to summarize musicals. That is one of the golden rules that we have discovered in doing this podcast. Um, so I guess uh, because this is such an iconic musical, I did want to just kind of start with, do you guys have favorite musical numbers from Singing in the Rain? I think that mine's already been well documented. Uh, make, that, them laugh. Uh, make them laugh is definitely my favorite. Um, and I do love Good Morning. I mean, how can't you? not love that <laughs> so yeah. i i uh was watching the scene and he's like today's my lucky day march 23rd and i was like why is that not a meme <laughs> i was like i need to make this meme <laughs> no it's the 24th like i'm i am gonna find a way to do that because it needs, <laughs> i mean we have the one from mean girls that are not from mean girls from uh uh mean girls has oh, well one. no there's both yeah. mean girls yeah, and yeah there's mean girls has one because and then also yeah, uh, uh yes the perfect the date, date. Um, which listeners get ready <laughs> next April. <laughs> we may be dropping a meet. Uh, 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 oh, well, yeah, well, that is a nice tease for a, a year away. Good job. Um, but yeah, that needs to happen. I mean, we have enough memes. What, why not just give some credit to singing in the rain? It sure seems like there's always room for more memes. Absolutely. I think it's really hard to pick a favorite. Um, because everyone, except for Broadway Melody, which is just um, really interesting. Uh, <laughs> what about Beautiful Girls? I think that that song 
That, that and Broadway yeah, Melody I don't was, quite uh, work for not me. not very happy. I was like, I forgot how this song was. I don't really love it anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. And then yes. I went... Like beautiful girls, and now you're Barely. sixteen. No, that was not like, your 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 Barely lips 16. are, you know, ready for kissing, and your sweet sixteen is like <laughs> the line, and you're like ah, and you're over sweet sixteen. Yeah, and you're like oh, that's creepy, and you're an old man. No, yeah. thank you. <laughs> like, and then they go through all of the like fashion choices that you should do, and I was like, mm, yes, and think of the things that you can hide in these sleeves. Yeah, so um, <laughs> so weird. I think I might get some uh, dress like that just so I can hide things in them. So, but yeah. uh, but make them laugh. Good morning, yeah. singing in the rain. Uh, those are mo- most supposes. supposes. Uh, awesome. yes. Yeah, I think most supposes is, is like for watching the dancing for me the most impressive. Like, how are they doing that and not looking like they're yeah. trying? <laughs> Um, uh, and, uh, also I would just, and I know for people who are students of musical theater, like the Broadway melody, like, I think yeah. it means more if you're familiar with the history of Broadway musicals and everything that they're kind of lampooning and spoofing and, and honoring. Oh, like they're doing all of those, I think simultaneously in that number, but it just doesn't land as much for me because I don't care as much as, <laughs> as some people. It kind of reminds me of the choreography number in, um, in white Christmas, <laughs> it's just, like very long and and I'm uh, every time I'm watching it, I'm like, oh, why is this here, Mister Bones? Yeah, yeah, but I know that I know that there's a reason. But hey, yeah, it's there yeah, for well, a theater. I, buffs, I believe I think. that part of the reason that um, they put this number in is because um, American in Paris was very successful with Gene Kelly, and they were trying to mimic all of the success from American in Paris in this movie. And that's part of the reason that they threw a lot of these big numbers in the movie uh. is because in American in Paris, that was one of the most like iconic and, and best parts of the show. And even during that time, part of the reason that this movie wasn't critically received as well was because they were just comparing it to American in Paris. Okay. And they were like, well, this is all the same thing. And then after people kind of like got over their like weirdness about it, they realized this movie is actually better and we shouldn't have been you know seduced by recent biases um and so like i think that that's part of the reason that it's more beloved now is that you're not comparing it apples to apples so and i always love the um the unexpected trajectories of things like like when there are films that are massive hits in their time and kind of end up forgotten and just like a weird quirk of popular culture history that oh that was the number one film that year or oh we gave that the best oscar (laughs) you know the best picture uh versus and then you have those that just kind of come and then there's some sort of um reclamation that happens as the years pass and people say no no this one really was special Uh, and that seems to have happened for singing in the rain from uh, again not a dud but just kind of viewed as the movie that was there and now it's you know afi has it in their top 10 films of all time I was going to compare it to Happy Feet and Flushed Away, but I felt that that was probably not as appropriate <laughs> because I remember that like Happy Feet, when it came out, everyone was like, oh, this movie is going to be so great. Dancing penguins. And then there was a movie about rats in a sewer called Flushed Away. And if you watched both of those cartoons, Happy Feet, like after everyone went and saw it, they went, wow, that got really political and weird. I, I didn't like the ending. And then and everyone went and saw Happy Feet. And then Flushed Away was a really funny, good, just children's movie that happened to be about rats that were flushed in a sewer that was really good and heartwarming. And nobody went and saw that movie. So that's kind of what it reminds me of. I don't know why. That was weird. That that came to my mind. 
<laughs> Todd, at the beginning, you said you had kind of reassessed some of uh, your ideas about singing in the rain. What was different this viewing versus your earlier viewings? There's a moment in this film that I really, really like. And uh, it's one that I think one of my students actually pointed out to me uh, when we watched it as a class. Um, and it's at the very end of the singing in the rain um, number. And uh, he's he's walking off uh, down the sidewalk and he gives his umbrella to a guy that doesn't have an umbrella. And it's a sweet uh, moment of um, like service, right? Like it's a sweet kind of human moment. Uh, where he sees somebody in need and he and he gives them the umbrella and uh, and as we were talking about this kind of as a post-war film um, we were talking about uh, and contrasting it to noir films that were coming out at the same time and thinking like what what uh, strikingly different responses to this to the same historical period Um, and that this is this film is so light and um, and it's it's so happy and there's so much uh, smiling and dancing. Uh, and then I recently have started thinking more about Lena Lamont. And I think there's like something really sad in her story in this film that um, she obviously comes from, I mean, I think she comes from a pretty humble uh, background and then she becomes this huge star and then all of a sudden because of a, a weird change in technology um overnight she becomes totally obsolete and and she's fighting trying to do everything that she can to to keep <laughs> what she has had going and i feel like there's something so cruel in the way that they treat her at the end of this film and I know that she's being mean and we've seen her from the beginning and we know that she's been really mean to people. But when they pull the curtain up on her in front of all of that crowd and and then everybody starts laughing and then Kathy starts crying and I'm like, oh, this is just yucky. Like, I don't like this end at this final scene of this film. It makes me feel yucky. Like, I, I think it's not kind. And it's such a contrast to um, to the the moment with the umbrella and I think that's really interesting. Um, it doesn't make so, me hate the film, but it makes me think about it differently. So I think that in... Well, I mean, so much of this... Oh, I was, I was like, I think that in Joe's um, long synopsis, he didn't give that final scene quite like what the intricacies of what is happening. Because it's clear that Lena is blackmailing. Like, she's she's trying to, like, pull all of her way and say she's going to sue... Right, you know, art the guy and you know the producer of the of the whole show and the whole studio, like the director of the studio, and he's kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place because he knows we have this contract and there's no way out of this, and you know the guys are like, well, we can't ruin you know Kathy's career. This is not fair. You know what are we going to do, RF? What are we going to do? And he's just like, I don't know. I mean, listen to the crowd. And it's all about, you know, dollar bills, y'all. So, he, I mean, he, he's kind of <laughs> stuck in, in his, you know, old mind and stuff. And then, like, that cruelty, I don't think that it was bad because, I mean, they weren't, I mean, they, they came up with a plan based on the fact that she was willing to, or like not smart enough, I guess, to realize that if she reveals her real voice, people are going to turn on her. And and then, I mean, 
they were like, hey, this is our out. We're not going to get sued. We're not going to lose everything. We can continue going on. So I get it because public shaming is never like good. <laughs> but at the same time, it was kind of brought on by herself. And I'm really interested to think or to learn how you came up with the idea that she came from humble beginnings and then became a star because I never got that impression from her. I mean, from the very beginning, when you first meet her, she's, you know, the quiet girl next to this charisma dashing young man. And you learn in that first scene that when Lena first talks to Don and she's like, she doesn't even care that he's there. Like she right. doesn't even give him the, the light of day at all. And then as soon as RF is like, you know what? You're going places. I'm going to put you in the next movie. She's like, oh, well, now he's important. So I'm going to pay attention to him. And that sort of shallowness. I mean, I wouldn't I didn't I don't think that if somebody came from humble beginnings, if they weren't just given everything like right off the bat or came from rich stock or something like that, they would have that mentality. Like, that's just my two cents on that. And so I I I don't wish like horribleness on anyone like ever. But I feel like in this case, the person who was like doing the morally right thing kind of won in the end. And that makes me happy because I would rather have that happen. <laughs> I think the film does enough work to to make Lena kind of this is uh, moral comeuppance, right? Like this is a balancing of the scales, particularly when she won't even let Kathy have a career of her own. Like she's going to insist that Kathy only does her voice and can never be in front of the camera. I think <clears throat> that's where it is. But at the same time, I completely understand like in the abstract, like what Nick said, like public shaming is probably never <laughs> the right course of action. So in the abstract, I see it, but the film works really hard to make you understand that Lena is the villain um, from her first appearance on screen through um her denial of, of allowing Kathy any, any hope for a career. But I completely get what yeah. you're saying, Todd, about like having the whole audience laugh at her um, feels like that's, mm, <laughs> that's kind of yucky. Yeah. I, I, I mean, maybe I'm reading too much into this, but it doesn't seem to me that she comes like, she's certainly not well-educated. Um, I don't know. I just, well, post-war upper class isn't necessarily well educated, but but also like think? her her voice and her, she talks? her accent are not supposed to be. That's, yeah, that's not a marker of of coming no. from a socialite background. Not at all. Well, I mean, not, sorry, producer Andrew is jumping again, in. I'm, listeners, I'm sorry. Like, I, I wrote like a really extensive paper about you know Hollywood and and upper class America in the. I mean, it was the the in between the wars, but I mean that would be her parents. And that upper class was well. This is supposed to be twenty six to twenty seven, right? So yeah, it, yeah, it's supposed yeah. to be twenty six yeah. to twenty seven. Yeah, yeah. This this film. Yeah. So so a movie star coming out of that could have been like the child of Rockefellers who would have been well educated, but their children might not have been. Uh, but, you know, so like this is this is like the chi the child of a robber baron who maybe didn't make their child study. Like this, like it's it's totally okay. feasible that this yeah. wouldn't be a well. -educated. I mean, we like, we do have stereotypes like, this is, this of. <laughs> Of wealthy yeah. idiots. Well, yeah, and especially, <laughs> about. and especially because of um, like the transition into Hollywood. If we're dealing with like the twenties and thirties, like that was such a rapid development of wealth with like zero, um, like zero timeline. Like somebody could come from no education and instantly become a star and become wealthy, and like. Just because it's a humble background doesn't mean they're salt of the earth. No, I'm not saying yeah, that she's know, salt like, of the earth. I, th I think she's a jerk. <laughs> I just think that the way that they play with her intelligence 
and that we are like we laugh at how dumb she is. I mean, I, we laugh at the line like, what do you think I am? Dumb or something? But it's like, I don't know. I just it, it feels weird to me that we like they turn her into a jerk. And I mean, she is a jerk. Uh, and we laugh at her jerkiness. But also we laugh at her ignorance. And and we laugh at the fact that uh, like, oh, I mean, there's it's not her fault that technology changed. And now her job is she's obsolete. And like, I mean, that must be terrifying for her as, a, as an individual. Right. Yeah. And so I can under I can see her uh, her side in this, like realizing seeing the writing on the wall and thinking my life is over. <laughs> right. Like there's no hope for me. Except for for me to use whatever leverage I can, which is this contract that I have, and so I'm going to use the contract that I have, and then these guys all blow it up, and we just laugh about it, and it's just like, ugh, like the whole situation is just yucky. Well, I, I I don't mean to like challenge the the yuckiness because I agree that like laughing at someone at the end of this movie is yucky, um, but I think that the film doesn't do any of the work that you're doing to say that she feels like her career is at an end. It's like, no, she feels like she is personally threatened by the presence of another woman. So she's attacking that woman abusively. She doesn't actually come to that. Like she, she doesn't seem to talk about, she doesn't come to that conclusion until Zelda tells her. And Zelda is trying to get Kathy out of the way because Kathy was better in the movie with Zelda playing Zelda's kid sister than she was. And so it's just a whole bunch of mean girls going on right now. (laughs) And (laughs) her position feels like jealousy. What you don't agree with? What I was just going to say, I don't understand that world. And so I'm just going to step down now. (laughs) (laughs) The mean girls world. I don't get it. (laughs) Well, we very deliberately had, had some guests to help us help walk us through the mean girls like world. Kathy, I feel like Kathy that. comes out uh, pretty unscathed through this. Like I don't, fe- I don't think any less uh, of Kathy. I feel like she's also just kind of doing the best that she can. Um, it's the guys when they're like, "Hey, I've got this great idea," and and we all laugh, and the curtain comes up, and like C- Kathy is mortified at that situation. She's crying, and Lena's. It's just like, oh man, I I've loved this film all all the way until this moment, and now I'm like, oh, this feels so yucky, and then it ends. <laughs> Uh, and I'm happy that they're together and I'm happy that things work out for Kathy because I think she's great. Um, but there's this anyway, that's the one thing that I'm like, well, I don't know how I feel about that. That one thing in this film. Other than that, I'm totally on board. Well, and it, I mean, this this film has come out in 52, but it, it resonates because there were so many silent film actors who lost their careers with the transition to sound, particularly silent film comedians um, where everything was built on physical mm. comedy. And then it became set up punchline. And if you didn't have the right voice and the right timing for that kind of thing, you were done from one year to the next. You like Buster Keaton is one of the greatest comedians in American history. Uh, and his career was over with the transition to sound because he had a smoker's rasp and he didn't do mm. verbal joking. <laughs> like he only did physical comedy that worked really fantastically and amazingly. Like these stunts are so astounding when you watch what Buster Keaton does for the sake of getting a laugh to make the audience laugh. And then his career was gone uh, with sound. Charlie Chaplin, largely the same thing, you know, happened to him. And, the, and there's other silent film actors who, um, oh, oh, the movie, the, uh, the the recent movie, The Artist, if you saw that, the, um, the you know, the, the Oscar winning musical, like that was uh, dealing with, uh, or Oscar winning film was dealing with the same thing, the transition from silent to sound. And it was based on like real leading men who had foreign accents, um, who's, who couldn't be the romantic leads mm. with the foreign accent was we transitioned to sound. Yeah. So I think there's the precedent that makes it even a little more like, ugh, like this really did happen to many actors and actresses in Hollywood with this transition era. Okay. So the, I, I've said my piece on that. 
<laughs> um, one thing that I wanted to talk about, and it kind of made me think about a little bit um, of our discussion with Much Ado About Nothing, um, the way deception gets played with in this film. <laughs> and and uh, like like you said, we 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 all kind of like do the work and we see that you know lena is is kind of the bad guy but everyone is kind of lying and like the film opens up with a montage oh yeah showing the 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 lies of hollywood and the lies of celebrity culture and you know the hypocrisy of what the audience is eating up and like i love the uh the quote from one of the audience members what is it she's she's so she's so classy i could kill myself oh i think i'll kill myself Um, and, you know, and you see the audience like looking at these these images that are being told to them of like this is these are their lives and Don Lockwood just telling his life, but then we're we're given this peek behind the camera the of of these lies. The whole opening scene of this film is amazing. The red yeah. carpet and they're all like so strange. And then when he tells that story and the 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 juxtaposition of the images and the and the voiceover, oh man, it's so good. I just felt like it was like he was doing a job interview because everyone's just kind of like elaborating on the good things that happened because <laughs> I was watching I was like he was giving a job interview to all his fans we don't really know what's going on behind all this but you know there's a lot of truth in it or, or, or we'd say today like this is the social media presence yeah. of his life yeah <laughs> it's not what's in those so fan good. magazines Maybe but then you see it again when he when he drops into the car with her and she's like, I don't even know who you are. And I've only seen maybe I, one of your movies. I'm a stage yeah, actress. Yeah, I'm a stage actress. <laughs> and then in the and then we realize, you know, a little bit later that she has seen all of his films and that she she um she subscribes to like four or five fan magazines and she totally knows and that she was totally she was lying to him like through her teeth. Well, I mean, before we even find out all that, we find out she's a chorus right. girl, right? She's yeah. she's uh, you know, backup dancer girl um, it, it is, and she's not a stage actress. Well, and even also like the uh, the head of the studio who's like, "I'm in charge," but don't let me know. <laughs> know. That's so <laughs> like, funny, so many what, times. What we're doing, like the, the, the yeah, the, these layers, uh, like it's a constant, like people saying one thing, and then we're going to show you the reality is this other thing is just happening over and over in this film. All right, so I do. And I mean, all the way to the finale yeah. that way that we've said. So I do want to actually know, we, talk we, about we that car scene a little bit because something like I noticed something really awesome about that scene. I was watching it with my wife, and I was sitting there, kind of like trying to you know watch it in a different light than I have for the past thirty-seven years. And like one of my favorite things about that that part is that he literally drops in her car, and she's terrified <laughs> for her life. Like I mean. Just anybody yeah. anybody would be terrified if just yeah. some random person like drops in the car and then I, I don't think that this would happen nowadays where like let's say Brad Pitt drops in your car and all of a sudden you get pulled over by the cops and the cops are like hey you're Brad Pitt just go along just do whatever you want like they'd probably be checking for <laughs> something at least you know or trying to get on social media somehow with their you know cam in their car or something but that was really funny but after she realizes that it's don lockwood she's like really nice to him she's like oh i'll help you i'll drive you someplace and then all of a sudden he gets this like look on his face and he's like oh you like me and he's like putting the moves on her right like he's he puts his arm around her and her face when she realizes hey he's not just being a nice guy anymore now he's trying to get something that i don't want to give that's when her whole demeanor changes and I was like, I want my daughter to be that way. <laughs> like, I was like, that is how I want my daughter to be. And it was like inspiring to me. I was like, yes, even though this person is the most famous person in the world, 
you have enough head on your shoulders to be like, hey, this guy is trying to take advantage of me. And that's when she switches. That's when she says, you know what? I, I've never seen your show. She's like, I don't want to give him any reason. And I want to bring him down a peg because that's what I can do. And then it turns into, you know, a battle of of wits, which I love that scene so much because it's just like he's all of a sudden like, wait, you know, and even Cosmo says it later. He's like, that's the first girl that hasn't like bowed down to you since the minute you put the moves on you. And he's like, I've been thinking about her for three weeks. And I was just like, what a great example that is, even in the 50s, because, I mean, we talked about, you know, the Me Too movement and stuff like that. Like, there is just a small little, like, peek into like, yes, that is awesome. You can be strong. You can be awesome. And you, you know, you don't have to take no crap from nobody. And don't think that because you do that, you're then going to fall in love and get married at the end. But still, (laughs) like, the fact that she just was like, you know, I'm out. And, and and even in the end, when he like rips his rips his jacket off and stuff like she kind of won that battle in the end because he was making fun of her. You know, uh-huh. I just love that scene so much because it's just this back and forth and back and forth. And it's not clearly like, you know, the man is the winner. The woman is the winner. It's just equal footing. And it, it's brilliant. I love it so much. I like what you spotted there uh, in the in the car with her. Like the and once you were describing it, like I had that moment of the film in my head. Uh-huh. I just don't think I'd ever dwelled on it quite as much as uh, until you were laying it out, where he puts his arm around her and like she stiffens up and she, like her her whole demeanor just shifts immediately. Yeah, her face is so odd. Like the acting, like nineteen year old Debbie Reynolds, and then watching her in Halloween Town, like same actress, amazing. Like that she could do that at 19 and like this is one of her first films and she is sitting next to one of the most biggest stars in Hollywood and she's just holding her own. And like that scene showed how awesome Debbie Reynolds was, number one, but that she could hold her own like even like against, you know, him, even though she did cry under the piano, which you know, it's terrible, but like <laughs> her, you know, like her fortitude and her, you know, will like was just shown in that scene. And I was like, yes. And now I know where Carrie Fisher got it from too. Like, I'm just like, yes, you guys are awesome. <laughs> anyway. Cool. Um, so uh, uh, circling back real quick to the, uh, the idea that we we're delving into it. And I, th- I think we've, we pulled apart a little with this scene that we just, uh, went a little more in depth into, but the way deception gets played with in this film, I think it's a criticism of both, um, you know, like I think it's pointing at both Hollywood and the audience, right? <laughs> like the parody of, um, absurdity of the red carpet, but then also the absurdity of these audiences who are fawning over. Like, I think that gets played up quite a bit, which is a, one of those odd moves for a film to be doing. <laughs> it's, um, and every once in a while we get these films that, um, sometimes more harshly than what Singing in the Rain does, but they criticize like the film industry and the relationship between film stars and audiences. Um, this one is doing it in kind of a playful, uh, parodic manner, but I think it, the criticism is definitely there. And it, again, it's something that runs through the entire film. This idea that these people are all living lies and deceptions. And every now and then we're going to show you the truth of who's really in charge of who's really in love with whom of what's really going on. Um, and it could be as simple as the, it's another great moment. That's kind of quiet and doesn't draw a ton of attention to himself, but right before make him laugh when he's walking through the stage yeah. and you see like four different films getting made um, on different sets. Um, 
And it's just kind of saying this is this is just this is all fake, guys. Just just a reminder, everything is fake. <laughs> Nothing's real. As you were talking about that, it reminded me of like kind of the idea that like we were talking about how this film didn't really get its recognition until after it had been released and people watched it again. And we all know that like the film industry, if there's ever a film that they make about <laughs> themselves, it's usually on the Oscar list. Like it's usually pretty like people are like, this movie is amazing. And you're like, it's all about you. Of course you love it. And so it makes me wonder if that kind of happened with this one too, just as you were talking about that, that they were like, haha, this is about us. So we like the movie better. And that's when it started getting more recognition. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I mean, not to give it any, or what, or was it maybe initially um, not thought of as well, because it, it is kind of taking some, you know, <laughs> it's pointing some barbs at Hollywood. Yeah, I think. But like now with them putting about- it on the, you know, fifth on the list of all time, it's like, oh yeah, back then they were terrible. Well, we're awesome now, you know. And then like in 20 years they're going to do a movie about now and they'll be like, oh, they were terrible back then, but we're awesome now. Like I don't know, it just kind of seems like a pattern, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> like- so I'm thinking about um La La Land. And I mean there's obviously a lot of parallels between Singing in the Rain and La La Land. Um, except that the dancing and Singing in the Rain is so, 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 so much better. Superior <laughs> in every way, shape, and form. Yeah. Um, but I feel, I don't know. I, maybe we can walk through this together. But the kind of self-referential humor that's like, let's just laugh at ourselves for a minute because we're pretty ridiculous. <laughs> Like, that that red carpet scene at the beginning is so um like it's so gloriously absurd um and i mean they're they're referring to f- like real films you know the jazz singer and uh, like i feel like this was this film is so grounded in in its uh moment um and and i feel like it's honestly like self-deprecating, right? Like like true self-deprecating humor when somebody is able to make a joke about themselves and it's really funny because it's true and you laugh about it. Um, and I just, I wonder if we're, um, if we get that kind of humor uh, today. Um, like La La Land, I don't know that it, I don't know that it goes as far as this film does in kind of making, uh, making fun of uh, that that aspect of this. I feel like La La Land kind of takes itself more seriously than Singing in the Rain does. Maybe I'm yes. off on that. No, I, 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 the tones are, are definitely, um, there, there's more self-seriousness about La La Land. Well, I think they try to do the same thing, right? When they go to coffee and then they're walking down the movie set and it's the same kind of thing where they're kind mm-hmm. of pointing at the fact that like, oh, this is fake. Um, but I feel like it's not just so like gloriously, let's just make fun of ourselves for a little bit and laugh because this is crazy, right? Like the whole, I mean, Hollywood is so bizarre for so many different reasons. And I feel like one of the things that I like about singing in the rain is that everybody, I, I feel like everybody associated with this film took a moment to say, okay, this is absolutely bananas. What's going on here. So let's make a film about how crazy this whole situation is <laughs> and let's laugh about it for a minute. And I, I feel like, um, I don't know. I feel like Hollywood takes itself really seriously lately. And, <laughs> Uh, and maybe I'm missing, maybe, maybe I'm just not getting the messages out there of people who are really willing to just kind of make fun of themselves. But, um, but I feel like we spend way more time attacking other people than kind of recognizing the absurdness of some of the things that we do ourselves. 
I feel like there is some listener right now that's being like, this movie is exactly that. So, you know what? I can't think of any. So why don't you just tell us in the comments? Because I'm sure that there's <laughs> something there. When you were saying somebody who doesn't take um, themselves seriously, the first thing I thought of was um, the late, great John Panette. He was a he was a comedian, but he also played the part of John, that John Travolta played in Hairspray, the movie. So the woman that's a man, like played by a man that is a woman, he he was the king in his comedy of just not taking himself seriously at all and just being hilarious. So I would recommend anyone who likes good, clean comedy about some guy that's like not taking himself seriously, go go watch John Panette. So just a recommendation from Nick from the Fandom Podcast. Pluck. <laughs> <laughs> there's one film that i saw i think i saw it on an airplane recently not recently recently but within the last few years is um cafe society this woody allen film um and it's about a guy from new york in the 1930s who goes to hollywood and there is a, some of this uh, hollywood people that are just like i think steve Car is steve Carell in this film um yeah uh, he's like the main guy and um he's just totally disgusting and they're kind of making fun of dis disgusting Hollywood people, which is like kind of interesting because it's a Woody Allen film. But <laughs> um, anyway, I don't, I don't know. I just, layers upon layers there. Layers upon layers, yes. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, it's just another thought that I had about this film. Um, well, I, I, I want to circle back to actually talk about Singing in the Rain, but another film that came to mind that I think was trying to do this, and for me, it didn't land. I've seen some people defend this film ardently. It was a Coen Brothers film. Um Oh, what was the one, Andrew? I'm forgetting it all of a sudden. The name of the actual film. It had Channing Tatum and George Clooney in it. And it was uh, set Hail in Caesar. Hail Caesar, yes. It was set in 1930, like the, the heyday of the studio system. And there's the, the main character is the, the studio fixer who cleans up all, you know, the rumors about the stars' lives. And there's this subplot about the communists. Um, and George Clooney kind of like starts to think the communists are onto something after they kidnapped him. Um, and there's like parts of the film that almost worked. But for me, like the film as a whole, it, it was it, it was a bit of a mishmash. But I think it was trying to do some of this kind of parodying of Hollywood culture. And I think... Um, Hollywood does a better job of that when they're doing period pieces where they're looking back and, and they can have like some separation of time and say, like, mm -hmm. like, I mean, what you were saying earlier, like this is, you know, a 1952 film that's making fun of 1927. <laughs> and right. uh, obviously a lot of the nature of Hollywood hasn't really changed that much in the intervening years. So the, the jokes still land for, for the modern Hollywood and <laughs> like the obsessive fan culture and the lies, you know, the, the, the personas of the stars that get presented to the public versus the reality of the stars. Um, so I think, I think, it, it can still work, but maybe they, they feel a little freer rain when, when it's not like, so obviously this is modern day Hollywood that we're making fun of. Yeah. I wonder even when this film came out, if people saw this as, Oh, look at how Hollywood was, or if they, I mean, I, I imagine that people would have seen it as look, this is, of course they're talking about 30 years ago, but really they're talking about today. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I mean, I just, I, I think it's a good hook to get back into this. I do love the fact that this is a whole film set in that transition period of silent to film. Mm -hmm. It's just such an interesting period for um, one of our biggest popular culture industries for so many reasons. Um, you know, it, it's uh, the silent to sound transition is going to mean so much for what film is, how film is made um, and uh, what it's going to mean as you're I, 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 like, even something as simple as the actors having to memorize lines. Right. So like Don yeah. Lockwood is like, can I just say, I love you. I love you. I love you. Like I always do in my silent films. Sure. Fine. Do it. And then you hear that. And you're like, well, that's really stupid. That, <laughs> <laughs> that, that does when not I love, work. 
I love the idea that like, you know, and you hear these stories about people who are just like hanging out on the set and all of a sudden they're like, hey, you're really cool. Come work on Star Wars with me. And you're like, how, how does this happen? You know, and you're watching the show and Cosmo's just playing the piano and then he's like, I'm going to make you head of music of this studio. And he's like, hey, thanks. You know, like it, it, it's it, I mean, that sort of thing will ne- will I guess I can't say never happen. But I mean, with that transition happening, it was like, you know, all those people, they're like, I want to be a movie star. They're like, oh, why can't I just be Cosmo Brown that likes to run on the, you know, on the floor and and, then just be like, hey, you know what? You're now going to be in this show or even like the the effortlessness that happens when like Kathy even is like discovered. It's just like RF is like, who's that girl? I recognize her. And it's because Lena hates her and threw a pie at her but he's like wait what is that and he's like oh no she was in this and he's like okay let's let's bring her in and have her be the star of zelda's next picture it's like hmm i wonder, I wonder how many times that's actually happened and uh, i don't know like <laughs> yeah um there's a really good podcast about the golden age of hollywood called you must remember this that has somebody like stories that you hear and you're like that can't be true but she's really researched this so well and <laughs> presenting it to us this must be like she's presenting the truest form of this event that we're gonna have and it's so many of them are like weird random things we're like how does that you know event a lead to us having this film f you know 10 steps later um that was happening in the golden age of hollywood in the studio systems there's a lot of weirdness in that era it, i mean it's fascinating to me like you hear the stories of like Whitney Houston was singing in a gas station and some guy just happened to hear her and was like, Hey, come in. I want to hear you sing like something else. And now she's one of the greatest and like top recording artists that, you know, went through the eighties and nineties and has millions and millions of dollars. We won't talk about what she did with it, but like, I mean, she (laughs) was very successful and she was just singing in a gas station. And I can't tell you how many times I've been sitting in a gas station, just remembering that and being like, should I sing right now? Maybe I could get discovered. (laughs) And I was like, uh, no, Nick, you're kind of an idiot. That's probably not going to happen in the middle of, you know, Salt Lake city, Utah on a, thursday afternoon in the Seven Eleven, but you know like it, it's just so i mean it's just one of those things you just kind of think about and it's just so random it's just funny like but i think one of the things that i love about this film is how um i mean despite the fact that this is the this is the industry and the studio and there's all this money and um an expertise and kind of structure behind uh, filmmaking. There's such an element of like improvisation in all of this when, when they're trying to make the sound work and they're like, Oh, let's try this. And then they try it and they're like, well, let's try this other thing. And we'll sew this into here. And the, and RF walks in, he's like tripping over the cord and like the, they're just trying, you know, trying to figure this out. And, and it's, um, it's like, it's so messy. And they're like, yeah, you come do this and you come do that. And let's, you know, we'll sew it into this part. Then we'll sew it into here. And then you can hear her heart beating. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> so we have to move it again. And I, I love that, um, you know, like they're just, they're not really totally on top of their game. And the first time they try it, it's yeah. a disaster. Um, which I also imagine happened. As they, well, and I think it's funny that you talk out. about that, Todd. Like, I think it's yeah. funny you talk about that because... Like there, there was a brief time in my life that I actually did work in the animation world mm-hmm. and it was, I was actually working on a stop motion animation film. And so like I, I worked as building the sets of the, of the movie. And then like, this was back in 2009. So 
like it hadn't quite come to its pinnacle yet, but they were kind of pioneering the idea of being able to put stop motion animation and computer animation together. Mm-hmm. So, so this film, what they were trying to do is, is make it so it seemed more lifelike and more, you know, you could do better facial expressions and they could also do it in a partial amount of the time because it, stop motion animation films take a long time to film. Uh-huh. Um, and they were trying to cut back on that. And you, you, you know, you're, you're talking about this, Oh, well they have to do this. You know, they just try this, they try this. That's all I did all day. Yeah. Like when <laughs> I was working on there, it was like, okay, well we've got to build an elf village. What are we going to do? And we would just kind of have powwow meetings. It was like, okay, what's a cheap way that we can make trees and then look really cool and look nice but we don't want to have to actually build trees like, you know, or <laughs> glue stuff together. And so we'd be like, okay, well, we can take this PVC pipe and uh, I've got this Bondo from leftover in my car from when I had to, you know, fix it. Let's, let's slap that on and see if we can make it look like bark, you know? And we're just yeah. like, <laughs> and we would just slap it on, sand it down, paint it, you know? And like, like one of the best examples is there's this, this scene where like they had a whole bunch of just like, burned down trees and the and the director was like you guys need more burned trees and we had like taken little sticks and like painted them specifically i mean they were just tiny little things like tiny little things and we had spent all this time trying to make it look super nice and the guy's like no we need more this this burned down forest we need more and we were like well what are we going to do so we looked over at the crest services table grabbed some pretzels spray painted them black and stuck them in the ground like we were just like rrr, rrr, rrr. and then the guy's like okay let's roll and it was like 10 minutes later we're like okay let's film right now like we had spent hours and hours like trying to get this like forest to look perfect and then in the end we used broken pretzels and spray painted them black but like i, I don't know if it's because you come from a like profession where everything is planned out you know, like you have your syllabus and this is what we're talking about, you know, and you work on that. But at least to me, like you're giving far too much credit to academia. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, yeah, no. <laughs> okay. But, but, but I have know. walked into a classroom, not knowing what I'm about to lecture on <laughs> that's for an awesome. hour. That's awesome. <laughs> like, okay, today we're going to talk about singing in the rain. I just had a great conversation <laughs> about that. But um, yeah, it, it, like, as you were talking about, I was like, no, that, that is just, still the life like that's just what happens yeah like there's so many times that it's just like the director's like this is too green i don't like it this green and you're like dude we worked on this for three months like should have told us that maybe yesterday you know like not two minutes before we're supposed to film this scene but yeah it yeah it was it was really fun unfortunately the movie was never made um we lost all the funding it was during the you know the downplay of it so just so if people want to know what movie it was that I worked on, it was never actually made. Um, there's still footage out there. Um, the, the company, the company actually, you know, went under whatever. They tried to save it many, many times. There's always talks that it might come back. But, you know, this was in 2009. So I'm not holding <laughs> holding my <laughs> breath on it. But it was it was one of the funnest jobs ever done. And uh, it 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 really was crazy. And there's a lot of egos and stuff. Like, I mean, it was, it was so funny, like just being, you know, the bottom of the totem pole. Like I was literally just like Cosmo Brown, like I'm the <laughs> piano player and I, you know, I'll help in any way that I can. Um, but yeah, it was, it was really fun, but that's, that's just what that reminded me of. So I think, well, I, I, oh, go ahead. Oh, I, I was just gonna say that story and what we see in this film, I think it shows, 
um, when there's emerging technologies and we're changing the way that we're doing things, there's that collaboration and a vision of what we want to reach, but there's also going to be a mix of luck and um, grit that's going to be required to get you from point A to point B. Um, and it's, it's not just, um, you know, we've, we've got a plan and we're going to stick to the plan. It's what, what can we do to make this work? Um, and even, it, you know, in this, like it's, we see that in the sound scene, but then we also see it where like there's the accident of the film sinking is what gives them the big brainstorm to save the film by having Kathy, um, you know, do, do the voiceover like that. That wasn't in the plans. That was an accident led to them having this, uh, this idea of like, well, what if we take this accident and now do this with it and, and we can save the film. All right, I, I do yeah. need to preface one thing just because it is recorded forever that I later found out that the art director of the film that I was working on, he had done that previously with the pretzels. And so it wasn't like we came up with the idea on the fly. He was like, this is what I did on Dante's Peak. So I'm going to do this now. I just want to make sure that it, like people don't believe that like <laughs> I did that. I just want to make sure like I told the story and I was like, that makes me think that I was the person that came up. No, it was the art director and I helped him do it and he had done it previously on Dante's Peak. So if you want to go see pretzels spray painted in a burnt forest, you can go watch Dante's Peak as well. Just wanted to make sure that that got said. And I found that out later by going to Comic-Con and listening to him talk about it. I was like, hey, we did that. Why? <laughs> you know, like, you didn't tell me that story while I was working there. Anyway. <laughs> so uh, the, the thing I was thinking of is um, I'm in my own profession, in especially in areas where I feel most expert, I feel the most... Uh, free to um, improvise. And so it wasn't when, when I was watching this, I wasn't thinking like, oh my goodness, they're improvising. What would that possibly be like? Because I <laughs> improvise all the time when I'm teaching. Um, and in fact, I'll talk to people sometimes who are like, oh, I have to prepare this lesson. I need 20 hours or something, you know, like I need okay. two months to prepare. And I'm like, are you kidding me? You can't prepare a lesson in three minutes? Like, look at the you know look at the bullet of words and then and then go wing it like you'll be yeah. fine <laughs> that drives <laughs> because my that's what crazy. i do like drives that's what i do <laughs> but i love to see other people in other areas of expertise do that because it blows my mind every time and when i when i meet people like um one of my very good friends uh he can fix anything and he can build anything and and like any project that I need help on, I can call him. And he's like, yeah, sure, let's do it. And I'm like, have you done that before? And he goes, no, of course not. But it can't be that hard, you know? And I'm like, I haven't done brain surgery. that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's what it's like to me. Like, yeah, let's just, we'll just uh, throw your car up on a jack. We'll take a look underneath. We'll, uh, you know, we'll get the, 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 the welding torch. We'll fix it. And I'm like, how can you possibly do that? Um, <laughs> And that's that's what I love uh, about this film is to see these people in a, in a field that's not my field, uh, cool. and doing this kind of improvised um, expertise and trying to figure something out using a set of tools that I don't have, and I admire it uh, when I see it in other people. So it's not that I've never seen that before because I do it all the time, um, but it's seeing it in this context that I don't usually think, oh, they must be improvising just everything all the time. But they do. And I think that probably in most fields, you would see the same thing. I think in the medical profession, if we were talking to nurses and doctors right now, they would be like, uh, uh, yeah, that's well, pretty much all we do. Let all me tell you. It's fun. <laughs> a story that's going to horrify you and fascinate you. <laughs> well, and I think that it's it, something that's like hit home to me while you were talking about that is, is that when I was in college, I went to college for illustration. 
I wanted to draw and paint. I wanted to do books and covers and, and stuff like that. And like, that was my aspiration. I wanted to be an animator. I wanted to do these things and, you know, create all this good art. But I would say that 95% of my friends, they were all nurses and doctors. Like they were pre-med, like two of them are like, like legitimate, like doctors at like Duke University. And like, like, I mean, they've gone on to do way more than I ever have, you know, like, and they went to school a lot longer than I did. But I remember sitting like at 2am in college, eating at, you know, the local dive restaurant, because that's what you do in college is you all hang out after you've all gone to class and stay up way later than you probably should. And they were all talking like, oh, blah, blah, blah. This procedure I learned today or, oh, I got to cut off somebody's head today and sew it back on. And I was like, I don't understand anything that you're saying. And, I, and it made me feel <laughs> like I was like, what am I doing? Like, I should be a doctor. These people have such more <laughs> impressive stuff until one day I was like, no, I have value, you know. And so like they'd start talking. They'd be like, well, we did this procedure and blah, blah, blah. And I'd be like, yeah, yeah. The other day I just drew some killer atmospheric perspective and the value and the halftones in there was just amazing. And the use of color and the analogous color scheme that I used was so great. And I just started using big words just to make myself feel better about it. And, and, but the reason I tell this story is because like everybody has like worth in what they do and we can't specialize in everything. And so one thing that I think that this teaches us that even Lena Lamont, even though she's terrible or, you know, Dawn or Cosmo or, you know, RF even like each of these pers- people have something that they specialize. And, you know, you, you guys as educators and, you know, I listen to your podcast and I feel smarter just by listening to it. And I feel like I can have a conversation with people that I could never have before because I've listened to this. And there's great value in all of that. Even if you just draw a picture, if you are the clerk at a retail store and you smile at somebody and give them a happy, like go about your day, or you are the owner of a television studio and you have to manage egos. Like that is a good skill to have RF, even though you're kind of a dirtbag a little bit. So like everyone should find value <laughs> in what they are, whether or not it's good or bad. And you should be proud of it. You should stand up for it. And you should say, this is awesome that I'm this person. That's just what it made me think of. <laughs> wow. Todd, you're really inspiring <laughs> to make him feel all that. <laughs> and the funny thing is, wow. like legitimately, <laughs> like I listen, I listen to stuff like this and there is always like, you guys have a great podcast. I'm not going to, you know, boast you up too much because I feel like and I don't want you guys to think that you're the best all over and then turn into Lena Lamont and get like diva diva out on me but there's so many times that like I'll listen to you know something about the GFL and it's like I never even thought about mean girls that way or like or something like that and that's what's so awesome about people in the world like everyone um, is that you can have a conversation with somebody and you can learn something special about that person to have a different have a different view. And so my recommendation would be to go have a conversation with somebody today and learn something new about them. And and you know, you'll be better for it. Wow. Well, thank you, Nick. Uh we we do need to wrap up, but we haven't talked much about the character. So I just wanted to say, like, give me in like Five words or less, something that you like about Don, Kathy, and Cosmo, because those I think are our key three. So if we maybe let's let's start with uh, Don. What's something that stands out to you about him as a character in this film? Even though he is 
one of the biggest movie stars in the world and he does get taken down a peg in the end he just wants to do the right thing and his moral compass i mean he says dignity always dignity but like he really does try to do the right thing now it might be for love because he, he ends up loving kathy and so that's really what he wants to do and it might be that he hates his co-worker and so he's trying to get rid of her which kind of could be weird too but i feel like like his moral <laughs> ground is higher than any like most of the people you would find in hollywood so i mean going back just real quick about what you said hating his co-worker he didn't try and get rid of her until like she made it impossible for kathy to have a career like he he was hating her while they were making the film but he made the film with her right (laughs) (laughs) that scene when they're talking to each other and he's like you vile what does he call her (laughs) reptile is a vile reptile reptile. something like Yeah, that's so good. (laughs) Uh, Of those three, I mean, I don't know. I don't know that Cosmo is given much to do in this film, except for that one song and and a bunch of funny lines. Um, But as a character, I don't don't really see a lot of progression. To me, Cosmo is the best friend from Sing Street, who if Don Lockwood had come up and said, do you want to collaborate? He would have said always. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Like like that's his. He's the best friend that will always be there. But he's 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 like the Jiminy Cricket. Like, I mean, he tells Don, he's like, dude, come on. Like, you're just being an idiot. Like, he's he's helping keep him grounded, too. Like, he serves okay. a great purpose. And the one thing I do love about him, too, is that like, he knows his place. But yet he also is smart enough to be able to say, hey, RF, give me a raise. Like, I mean, he's got he's he's he knows how to play the game and he's just playing it. And he realizes, like hey, I can't just be this boastful guy. Like, I have stuff to offer and I'm just going to bide my time and wait until it's the perfect time to do it. And he kind of, he gets rewarded for it in the end. Like, he's a piano player. Yeah, I'm not saying that... Yeah. Go ahead. I'm not saying that he's not admirable. I just, I don't find him the most interesting character. He doesn't have as much of an arc. Well, and he's the one Um, I emulate my life after, so I, you know... (laughs) (laughs) I would rather be Cosmo than any other person in this show, so... Probably. He's certainly the most steady. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, And he seems to be having the most fun because he doesn't have the ups and downs of the others. Yeah. Like when he runs into the door, like I did not realize it until the last time I watched this just because I'm an idiot. But I've been doing that since high school, like running into a door and making people go like, oh, my gosh, you ran into a door. And then I'm like, no, I'm fine. Ha ha. And having a funny face just to make somebody (laughs) laugh. Like I, I turned to my wife and I was like, hey, now I know where I got it from. And she's like, I already knew that. She's like, duh, <laughs> like I know more about you than I do. And I'm like, yeah, I guess I just don't realize it until I start thinking about it. Yeah, anyway. So I kind of feel like I yeah. am like Cosmo in that way where I'm just kind of aloof. I'm okay. just like, yep, this is what's going on. And I'm just kind of going through life and being happy. So anyway. There's a lot to be said for that. Yeah. Um, just one thing about Kathy that I, I think it's already been touched on, but the moment where uh, the truth gets revealed and this is, could be her moment of stardom and she reacts with like embarrassment and dismay. That says so much about her character to me. <laughs> like yeah. she is not there to seize the glory. She was going to do what she had to do for the film studio. Um, she was going to be a trooper. Uh, and, you know, I'm glad fame found her as we see in the last billboard uh at the end but again like that reaction makes me like her character so much more even as i'm getting that kind of yucky feeling (laughs) about everyone in the audience who's laughing at lena lamont and the the men who kind of did that to lena lamont even though the film does a lot of work to make lena lamont deserve it yeah i like kathy a lot um and i think she 
I mean, she get like she gets taken down a couple a peg, just as um, just as Don does, and um, yeah. I mean, I, when I think about this film, I I just don't I don't um, I don't really focus that much on the characters. Hey, well, it's I not a film about I don't characters. find it. I don't find it to be like the most interesting character study ever, and, which is not to say that there aren't great characters because, uh, like, I think Kathy's great, um, and I think Cosmo's great in his own way. Um, and I think Lena's interesting and, uh, and Don, it, I don't know, maybe Don's even less interesting to me than, <laughs> than Cosmo. Yeah. Um, but there are other th- like thematic things and technical things that, um, that stand out to me more. I think the writing in this film is really good. Um, and the way that they're able to have, uh, as we've touched on, I, I think some of the greatest comedies, are able to do lots of different kinds of comedy and there's great physical comedy in here and there's great situational comedy and there's great, um, the, uh, like written comedy. Well, and also like, like, film uh, comedy, spoken, right? like the way that monologue is played out. That's a film technique that you can't do as comedy as a standup right. comedian or at, write it on the page even. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I think the, the, it's, 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 is one of the greatest films for a lot of different reasons. I don't know that I would say personally uh, that it's one of the greatest films because it has like the most incredible characters of all time. Like, Uh, like, yeah, when I, when I think about this film, I think about the, the song and dance numbers and how amazing (laughs) they are. And I think about the setting and, and what it's saying about Hollywood and the, you know, the transition from uh, silent air to sound. Like those are the things that stand out to me more than the character arcs that we get. Yeah. And they're solid. I don't, I don't want to be like a um, down on, on the characters because I mean, they're, they're, they're fine. They're solid. Uh, And there's, there's not a lot to really pick at. I just don't, I just don't think it's the the most striking thing about this film. Well, my only thought about Kathy is that she was my first celebrity crush, so she'll always hold a special <laughs> heart, place in my heart. So I'll just leave it at For that. For me, that was Kelly Kapowski, Saved by the Bell. Yeah, she was good, oh. too. Uh, Alicia Silverstone from Clueless was another one that was kind of up there. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, welcome to the uh, Celebrity Crush Podcast. <laughs> yeah. um, well, I, I- I think maybe for me it was Jane Seymour in uh, the Scarlet Pimpernel. Oh, no. I was—I thought you were going to say Doctor Quinn, Medicine <laughs> Woman, or James Bond. No, she was no, in no. Both of those too, but like, the, the solid choice, solid choice. Okay, all right. Well, I think that's going to wrap up this episode. <laughs> <laughs> we always knew it was going to end here, guys. <laughs> well, when you invite me on, there's going to be a. Uh, thank you listeners for joining us for show notes and links to all of the other great dueling genre shows go to duelinggenre.com also please subscribe to the protagonist podcast in your podcast app of choice and please leave us a review that really helps us out we would like to thank nick english who designed our logo and also thank nick english for you're being welcome. a guest on this on this episode and i i often say you're welcome whenever i'm listening to the podcast <laughs> it's like thank you nick english i'm like, you're welcome <laughs> but just so you know whenever you're saying that i am i am reciprocate oh that's good to know uh, that is definitely gonna stay in my mind every time i read the script at this point uh we'd also like to thank scott yes. tofty who composed our theme music if this if you enjoyed this episode you might want to go check out the earlier episodes when we had nick on i know we had you on for the quotation special uh when we talked about just the power of movie quotes and um and also you might want to go check out another musical we talked about we talked about high school musical very similar <laughs> in tone i was not on that no episode. no or my Christmas, Christmas yes. Uh, those are yeah, earlier musical good. episodes that we talked about. Uh, you can. I was on the um, 
think it was uh, Stranger Things. That was oh, the one that right. I was on oh, the yeah. first time. That was the first time we had you on. I can't. Re- I can't remember the other one though. I think there's one more, but I don't remember. Uh, listeners, you can su- suggest stories or characters for us to discuss or give us any comments or corrections by emailing feedback at protagonistpodcast.com. We're also on Twitter, and you can follow Protagonist Pod, Todd K. Mack, Jay Dorowski. Our producer, Andrew, is at Disminute. Nick, do you have uh, anything you want to plug in terms of social media or your other podcast? Uh, or not your other podcast. Okay, so I am <laughs> <laughs> the Fandom Podcast. Uh, you can find us uh, at fandompodcast.com on Facebook uh, at facebook.com slash fandom podcast we have a twitter account that's just fandom cast i think um but then we also have a group called the Fandomaniacs that on that has a lot of really fun just um we talk about geek stuff and books and stuff like that all the time and we have a lot of participation there which is a lot of fun if you want to see any of my artwork i do have a website it is nickenglishart.com and nick is spelled just n-i-k english like the language and then art um <laughs> recently one of my recently one of my cousins said hey nick your website says shart and i went you're right and i don't know how i feel about that but i'm still okay with it because it's my name <laughs> yeah so maybe i shouldn't have brought that up i shouldn't have said that i shouldn't have said that <laughs> not sure how to come back from that but listeners we have a facebook fan page at facebook.com slash protagonist podcast and we enjoy our conversations with listeners there if you'd like to support the show financially you can buy a topic for us to discuss or share your appreciation with a monetary donation by going to patreon.com slash protagonist thank you again for listening and we'll be back next week to discuss another great character in a great story so long so long ciao The film stars uh, Don Lockwood. Don Lockwood. Oh. Don <laughs> Lockwood. Take. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> um. So, Todd, you. <coughs> Sorry. <laughs> what was that? I don't know what just happened. <laughs> I am 14 years old. <laughs> yes. I'm 30 years Let's old. I'm say, almost a full my... man. <laughs>